chapter nine of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine queen elizabeth's statue the ladies of the bedchamber the queen hissed at ascot races land at melbourne sunday trading new way of paying church rates times twenty five april the workmen engaged some time since in taking down an old public-house adjoining st dunstan's church in fleet street discovered in one of the cellars the ancient stone statue of queen elizabeth which formerly stood in the nave of the old church the parochial authorities have resolved to place it on the east end of the church fronting fleet street an unfortunate position for many raw unlettered irishmen or women have mistaken it owing to its environment to be a statue of the virgin mary and have devoutly crossed themselves and said their aves about this time occurred a political complication which afforded great scope for gossip and which showed that it was about time that the queen was freed from her female entourage and had the protective advice of a husband on the seventh may lord melbourne having been beaten by a small majority on the bill concerning the suspension of the constitution in jamaica resigned and sir robert peel was commissioned by the queen to form a new ministry he did so but for valid reasons he required the resignation as was and is usual of the ladies of the household in order that there shall be no bias on this divergence of opinion between the sovereign and her minister i quote a portion of sir robert peel's speech in the house of commons on thirteen may taking it from the authorized version of hansard sir robert said that there was but one subject of disunion between himself and her majesty the difficulty arose with respect to certain portions of that part of the establishment which is filled by the ladies of the household sir i think it infinitely better on this point the one on which the difficulty arose i think it infinitely better after mature consideration that i should not enter in the first instance at least nor unless invited by the noble lord john russell into any statement whatever of impressions on my own mind with respect to what took place but that i should refer exclusively to the letters which passed on the subject because if i were to state here impressions of my own i must detail verbal communications that passed where two parties only were present and myself one of the party being alone in this house to offer explanations of what occurred i approach then that point with respect to which the difficulty on this occasion arose and for the purpose of enabling the house to form a judgment with respect to the nature of that difficulty i shall confine myself altogether to the written documents which passed on the occasion in which are conveyed the impressions on the mind of her majesty and the impressions on my own mind with regard to the purport and effect of the communications which passed between her majesty and myself in respect to certain appointments in the household which are held by ladies now whatever blame may attach on account of imperfect explanations i am content to bear it whatever consequences may result from misconception let them be visited on me but as to my intentions in regard to the ladies of the household i must not only state them but i must prove them by most unequivocal testimony on wednesday evening that is the day before i saw her majesty on this particular point i had an opportunity of conferring with all those whom i proposed to submit to her majesty as ministers 
i saw them on wednesday night at my own house about ten o'clock i then stated to them and there are four of them now present who heard the communication and can give their evidence upon it i stated to them and to the peers whom i have before named the course which i meant to pursue with respect to the household and had very little considered the matter i am speaking of the female part of it i really scarcely knew of whom it consisted i took the red book into my hand and saw there the different appointments of the household i said to those who were intended to be my future colleagues that with respect to all the subordinate appointments meaning every appointment without exception below the rank of a lady of the bedchamber i should propose to her majesty no change whatever with respect to those with respect to the superior classes i stated that those ladies who held offices of that class and who were immediate relatives of our political opponents would i took it for granted relieve us from any difficulty by at once relinquishing their offices but i stated at the same time that i did think it of great importance as conveying an indication of her majesty's entire support and confidence that certain offices in the household of the higher rank if not voluntarily relinquished by the ladies holding them should be submitted to some change even with respect to the higher offices namely the ladies of the bedchamber i did state however that there were some instances in which from the absence of any strong party or political connection i thought it would be wholly unnecessary to propose a change my noble and right honourable friends will confirm what i assert this passed on the evening of wednesday and i mention it only in complete proof of my intentions being perfectly willing as i have before observed to have transferred exclusively to me whatever blame may be attached to the imperfect explanation of my views i saw her majesty on thursday and verbal communications took place on this subject as i stated before into the nature of those communications i shall not now enter in the slightest degree i shall merely read the two letters which passed one conveying the impression of her majesty and the other my own the letter which i had the honour of receiving from her majesty is dated may the tenth eighteen thirty nine i received it at an early hour on friday morning and it is as follows buckingham palace may tenth eighteen thirty nine the queen having considered the proposal made to her yesterday by sir robert peel to remove the ladies of her bedchamber cannot consent to adopt a course which she conceives to be contrary to usage and which is repugnant to her feelings immediately that is in two or three hours after having received the letter from her majesty i addressed to her majesty a letter of which this is a copy whitehall may tenth eighteen thirty nine sir robert peel presents his humble duty to your majesty and has had the honour of receiving your majesty's note of this morning in respectfully submitting to your majesty's pleasure and humbly returning into your majesty's hands the important trust which your majesty had graciously pleased to commit to him sir robert peel trusts that your majesty will permit him to state to your majesty his impression with respect to the circumstances which have led to the termination of his attempt to form an administration for the conduct of your majesty's service 
in the interview with which your majesty honoured sir robert peel yesterday morning after he had submitted to your majesty the names of those whom he proposed to recommend to your majesty for the principal executive appointments he mentioned to your majesty his earnest wish to be enabled with your majesty's sanction so to constitute your majesty's household that your majesty's confidential servants might have the advantage of a public demonstration of your majesty's full support and confidence and that at the same time as far as possible consistently with that demonstration each individual appointment in the household should be entirely acceptable to your majesty's personal feelings on your majesty's expressing a desire that the earl of liverpool should hold an office in the household sir robert peel requested your majesty's permission at once to offer to lord liverpool the office of lord steward or any other which he might prefer sir robert peel then observed that he should have every wish to apply a similar principle to the chief appointments which are filled by the ladies of your majesty's household upon which your majesty was pleased to remark that you must reserve the whole of these appointments and that it was your majesty's pleasure that the whole would continue as at present without any change the duke of wellington in the interview to which your majesty subsequently admitted him understood also that this was your majesty's determination and concurred with sir robert peel in opinion that considering the great difficulties of the present crisis and the expediency of making every effort in the first instance to conduct the public business of the country with the aid of the present parliament it was essential to the success of the commission with which your majesty had honoured sir robert peel that he should have that public proof of your majesty's entire support and confidence which would be afforded by the permission to make some changes in that part of your majesty's household which your majesty resolved on maintaining entirely without change having had the opportunity through your majesty's gracious consideration of reflecting upon this point he humbly submits to your majesty that he is reluctantly compelled by a sense of public duty and in interest of your majesty's service to adhere to the opinion which he ventured to express to your majesty in a later portion of his speech sir robert remarks i upon that very question of ireland should have begun in a minority of upwards of twenty members a majority of twenty-two had decided in favour of the policy of the irish government the chief members of the irish government whose policy was so approved of were the marquis of normby and lord morpeth by whom are the two chief offices in the household at this moment held by the sister of lord morpeth and the wife of lord normby let me not for a moment be supposed to say a word not fraught with respect towards those two ladies who cast a lustre on the society in which they move less by their ranks than their accomplishments and virtues but still they stand in the situation of the nearest relatives of the two members of the government whose policy was approved by this house and disapproved by me now i ask any man in the house whether it is possible that i could with propriety and honour undertake the conduct of an administration and the management of irish affairs in this house consenting previously as an express preliminary stipulation that the two ladies i have named together with all others should be retained in their appointments about the court and person of the sovereign sir the policy of these things depends not upon precedent not upon what has been done in former times it mainly depends upon a consideration of the present 
the household has been allowed to assume a completely political character and that on account of the nature of the appointments which have been made by her majesty's present government i do not complain of it it may have been a wise policy to place in the chief offices of the household ladies closely connected with the members of the administration but remember that this policy does seriously to the public embarrassment of their successors if ladies being the nearest relatives of the retired ministers are to continue in their offices about the person of the sovereign so lord melbourne returned to power the genial caricaturist john doyle as there were no illustrated comic papers in those days illustrated this incident in his h b sketches number five ninety one is a scene from the farce the invincibles as lately performed in the queen's theatre in which the duke of wellington and sir robert peel are being expelled at the point of the bayonet by ladies clad as soldiers sir robert says these household troops charge in a most disorderly manner but they are too many for us while the duke observes our position is no longer tenable draw off in good order while i cover the retreat number five ninety two is the balance of power the figure proposed to displace the old one of justice at the top of constitution hill it shows a statue of the queen as justice holding a pair of scales in which private friendship typified by two ladies of the household weighs down public service full of ministers i have here reproduced number five ninety seven child's play in which figure the queen the duchess of sutherland the marchioness of normanby and other ladies of the household number five ninety nine is a curious instance of ministerial resuscitation effected by distinguished members of the royal humane society lord melbourne is lying on a couch attended by the queen and ladies of the household the queen holds a smelling-bottle to his nose and says ah there's a dear now do revive whether it was owing to this affair or not i know not but at ascot races this year the queen was absolutely hissed at by some one or more persons and the times of twenty five june quotes from the morning post thus at the last ascot races we have reason to believe that the duchess of montrose and lady sarah ingestry received an intimation that her majesty was impressed with the idea that they were among the persons who had hissed at a moment when no sounds but those of applause congratulation and loyalty ought to have been heard it was we believe further intimated to the noble ladies we have mentioned that the royal ear had been abused to the effect already stated by lady lichfield the ladies who had reason to think that they had been thus unjustly and ridiculously accused applied immediately to their supposed accuser who denied that she had made any such communication on being urged to give this denial in writing she declined to do so without first consulting her lord but on the application of being renewed at a subsequent period her ladyship as we understand explicitly and in writing denied that she had given utterance to the calumny in question here the matter stood until for some incidents connected with the late ball at buckingham palace the two ladies thus impeached saw reason to believe that the erroneous impression communicated to her majesty at ascot had not been entirely removed it was an impression however which they could not permit to remain without employing every means of removing it 
and accordingly the duchess of montrose sent to buckingham palace and requested an audience of her majesty after waiting for a considerable period two hours as we have been informed her grace was informed by the earl of uxbridge that she could not be admitted to an audience as none but peers and peeresses in their own right could demand that privilege her grace then insisted upon lord uxbridge taking down in writing what she had to say and promising her that the communication should immediately be laid before her majesty in this state we believe the matter remains substantially at the present moment although it has taken a new form the duke of montrose having we understand thought it necessary to open a correspondence upon the subject with lord melbourne there was only a partial denial given to the above which appeared in the times of five july we are authorized to give the most positive denial to a report which has been inserted in most of the public papers that the countess of lichfield informed the queen that the duchess of montrose and the lady sarah ingestre hissed her majesty on the race-course at ascot lady lichfield never insinuated or countenanced any such report and there could have been no foundation for so unjust an accusation melbourne in australia named of course after the premier was founded one june eighteen thirty seven and i mention the fact to show the prosperity of the infant city for in two years time on this its second anniversary certain lots of land had advanced in price from seven pounds to six hundred pounds and from twenty seven pounds to nine hundred and thirty pounds i cannot help chronicling an amusing story anent sunday trading for some time the parish authorities of islington had been rigidly prosecuting shopkeepers for keeping open their shops on sunday for the sale of their goods such not being a work of necessity or mercy and numerous convictions were recorded most of the persons convicted were poor and with large families who sold tobacco fruit cakes and sweets in a very humble way of business and considerable discontent and indignation was manifested in the parish in consequence of such prosecutions the outcry was raised that there was one law for the rich and another for the poor and a party that strongly opposed the proceedings on the part of the parish resolved to try the legality and justice of the question by instituting proceedings against the vicar's coachman for exercising his worldly calling on the sabbath day by driving his reverend master to church that not being a work of necessity or mercy as the reverend gentleman was able both to walk and preach on the same day for this purpose a party proceeded to the neighbourhood of the vicar's stables one sunday and watched the proceedings of the coachman whom they saw harness his horses put them to the carriage go to the vicar's house take him up and drive him to church where he entered the pulpit and preached his sermon one day the following week they attended hatton garden police office and applied to mr bennett for a summons against the coachman the magistrate on hearing the nature of the application told them it was a doubtful case and the clerk suggested that if they laid their information the magistrate might receive it and decide on the legal merits of the case this was done the summons was granted and a day appointed for hearing the case this took place on june fourteen when john wells coachman to the vicar of islington appeared to answer the complaint of frederick hill a tobacconist for exercising his worldly calling on the sabbath day 
john hanbury grocer of three pulteney street being sworn stated that on sunday the ninth instant about one o'clock he saw the defendant who is coachman to the vicar of islington drive his coach to the church of st mary islington where he took up the vicar and his lady and drove them to their residence in barnsbury park mr bennett are you sure it was the vicar witness i heard him preach john jones of felix terrace islington corroborated this evidence mr bennett said that the act of parliament laid down that no tradesman labourer or other person shall exercise his worldly calling on the lord's day it not being a work of necessity or charity he would ask whether it was not a work of necessity for the vicar to proceed to church to preach a dissenter might say it was not a work of necessity the coachman was not an artificer who was paid by the hour or the day but he was engaged by the year or the quarter and was not to be viewed in the light of a grocer or tradesman who opened his shop for the sale of his goods on the sabbath day after explaining the law upon the subject he said that he was of opinion that the defendant driving the vicar to church on sundays to perform his religious duties was an act of necessity and did not come within the meaning of the law and he dismissed the case the clergy did not seem to be much in favour with their flocks for i read in the annual register one august of a new way of paying church rates mr osborne a dissenter of tewkesbury having declined to pay church rates declaring that he could not conscientiously do so a sergeant and two officers of the police went to his house for the purpose of levying under a distress warrant to the amount due from him the officers were asked to sit down which they did and mr osborne went into his garden procured a hive of bees and threw it into the middle of the chamber the officers were of course obliged to retreat but they secured enough of the property to pay the rate and the costs of the levy besides which they obtained a warrant against mr osborne who would most likely pay dearly for his new and conscientious method of settling church-rate accounts End of chapter 9